Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts. John the Vernomatic Verno, and direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt. Good evening, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to all. As always, new content drops every Thursday night. This week, Metal Walt and I bring you a kick-ass story about two metalheads from Northern California. Amateur rock photographer Steve Roney and his buddy, author Scott Davis, they put together this book called Pictures Alive, Rock shows of the 80s and beyond. Essentially what happened was back in the 80s, they would go to these rock shows and Steve would smuggle in his camera and just take pictures, like really good pictures. Well, after about four or five years, he had pictures of all the stars, Van Halen, Motley Crue, Judas Priest, Maiden, Kiss, Y&T, you know, all, all our favorite bands back when they were fucking young and fresh. Well, as the years went on, they stayed friends. They grew up, uh, you know, have professional jobs. But then they decided, you know what? What are we going to do with all this stuff? And decided to package all these pictures into a cool book. It's included with these stories about how they got all these pictures, old ticket stubs, old just memorabilia. You know, we all love the heyday. We are all there. We all, you know, got those old circus magazines and hit paraders. And, you know, this is right up our alley. So they're here to tell us all the shenanigans, what went on. But first, just want to remind you to visit our website, mentalmayhemroc.com. Join our community by signing up for the email list. That way we could send you alerts on uh, new podcasts, YouTube videos, alerts for our live radio show on Monday night. Do us a favor and leave a review if you could get up to Apple Podcast. You know, that kind of stuff in the podcast and media world, that's golden. So that's what we got tonight. Steve Roney, Scott Davis, Pictures Alive, Rock Shows of the 80s and Beyond. For my co-host, Metal Walt, I'm the Vernomatic. Happy Holidays. Thank you for the support, and as always, gobble, gobble, gobble. See you, gang. Tonight, we're taking a walk down heavy metal memory lane, and this one is the true definition of it. From California, let's welcome the authors of the book, Pictures Alive, Rock Shows of the 80s and Beyond. Steve Roney and Scott Davis. Guys, right off the bat, I'm up here in Rochester, New York. My partner goes by the name of Metal Walt. He's uh, from down in New Jersey, East Hanover. And Scott, I believe you said before the show, you have some connection to Jersey? Yeah, exit 117 off in Hazlitt, New Jersey. I lived there for about three years. All right. After I moved out of the Bay Area. Good memories. So you must have uh, visited the uh, Birchill nightclub or maybe Club A back then? You know, at the time I was a new father with twins that were two years old, so I probably didn't get out much. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, you, you get the pass down there, right right around the bend from some of those classic Jersey clubs. And, yes. and I did I did stock with John Bon Jovi's house in Red Bank many times, or when people would come visit, I'd go show them off like Johnny was a friend of mine or something. But <laughs> it was all good. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I'm not too far away from there. About oh, okay. 45 minutes away, I got family that lives right down in that town. So I know it well. Yeah. Very cool. Metal Walt, let me ask you, have you ever stocked JBJ's house? That's a resounding unanimously no. Okay. <laughs> That's the right answer. <laughs> All right. Well, well, guys, uh, Steve Roney is the photographer behind the pictures in this book. And his friend, Scott Davis, lifelong friend, is the admin behind it, helped design it. Guys, quickly, get us up to speed. What is up with this scrapbook? It's fabulous. It's fantastic. Tell us about it. Well, in a nutshell, um, back in 2000, during the the COVID, you know, the COVID shutdown, um, Scott and I have been friends for years. 
And he was very familiar with all my photos. And I just had his idea. I said, you know, because he had a little bit of experience doing this. I said, hey, Scott, what do you think of, um, what if you think, you know, we did a, a book with my photos? And without really going into much more detail, he goes, yes, let's do it. That sounds great. And we didn't really know what to expect. We didn't know what it was going to cost. We didn't know anything other than we can do this. And so I sent him a file, all my photos. And we spent and- probably at least a couple nights a week and on Sundays for hours picking out the photos, you know, starting with 1981, Van Halen, you know, the Fair Warning Tour, all the way up to the Kiss, you know, Farewell in 2000. And we just put them together. And Scott had just great ideas as far as, well, okay, Steve, we can do this, we can do that. And there's a little paragraph, there's very little reading. You know, this is this is 300 pages, over 400 pictures, never seen before. They were my photos. I never shared them. You know, I, I, I waited 40 years to do this, you know. And, uh, and that's what we did. And there's a, there's a, I have some pretty great stories and experiences going to these concerts and what happened before and after. And so there's a little bit, there's a paragraph or two on each page, on each spread. And uh, the response we've been getting is just fabulous. It took us two years to do this. Uh, we printed up a thousand copies. We've sold over 600. And once the thousand were gone, we're pretty much done. Okay. And the over the overwhelming response because man this is just a trip down memory lane i was at that show in my city when it came blah blah blah. so people are really doing the fact and these these are pictures when these all these rock stars were in their prime late 20s early 30s you know van halen acdc kiss you name it so it's been a lot of fun and uh and that's where we're at and then now we're with you guys so here's here we are one question before i uh pass the metal baton to walt these were mainly shot up in the bay area San Francisco, all Bay Area. And again, this is, you know, when film was still existed. You know, these are all on film, no digital, automatic focus, no flash. I had to rely on stage lights to get photos, you know. And oh, and I, I was a kid in I was a kid in high school. And I have to the, the, you know, the thing I should point out is I had to sneak my camera to all these shows because every show said no cameras allowed. Yeah, I had the idea, well, maybe I, it'd be great to, because I used to love those magazines, Hip Parade or Circus Cream, all those great professional photographers, you know, shots in those magazines. I thought, you know, I, I, I was taking a photography class in high school my freshman year, and I started going to concerts in 1980, you know, more often, of course, and I, I just tried it. And, you know, I, I you know, people ask, well, how'd you sneak your camera? How'd you do it? Well, back then I had a black members only jacket, okay? I would take the lens off the camera. And I would stick it on the inner sleeve underneath the jacket. And I take the camera part or the lens, the same thing over here. And then I would push my sleeves up of the jacket. So I look kind of bulky. Then I camera strap that put around my, my waist like a belt. Okay. So then when I went in for the actual pat down, you know, they used to pat us down, right? Going into the concert, I would lift, I would lift my jacket open and they would frisk me up to my armpits, not knowing the camera is about two inches away. I did this about. I did this like sixty times. And once I got into camp, once I got into the concert, most of these, not all, but most of these, were general mission. So we get down on the floor. Me and my friend Dale, or wherever I was with, we kind of pushed our way close to the front. We get about ten feet from the stage, so security couldn't see me, you know. And my buddy Dale would hoist me on his shoulders for a couple minutes at a time, and I would just snap. I would snap what I can, you know. Amongst getting pushed around, <laughs> constantly getting pushed around and stuff. So. Hey, we were young and dumb. We could do it, you know. When you couldn't pay me enough to do it now, <laughs> but back then, great, you know. Hey, uh, Steve, you know when uh you, when you guys mailed the book and I opened it up, I'm flipping through it real quick, and I said, "Oh, this is really cool." Right up my alley. The inner inner sleeves have ticket stubs, um, lots of concert ads, and then you know you open it up and you go to it and you say, "All right, there's uh photos of the show. There's three paragraphs and there's the set list right up my alley." So. I'm going to I'm going to tell you something about me that I haven't really disclosed. John knows this about me, but there we have a common bond. Um, I understand what you went through, because back in those days, I was a bootlegger. I was one of those guys that brought the cassette decks in to shows. And uh, I'm maybe a few years younger and I did my shows from the late 80s up to, let's say, the late 90s. But it was the same principle. It was. Sneaking that gigantic cassette deck, sticking it down in front of your pants. You know, who's going to hold the extra cassette? Where's the microphone going to go? What if it's a long show? You need a second set of batteries. 
You know, the law of averages always catches up to you. At some point, you're going to get caught. At some point, you're going to have a equipment malfunction. But at the end of the day, it's uh, you walk out of there with something that, like I always described, I wasn't out there to sell it like you weren't. It was a souvenir and something to take home as a personal experience that I had from that concert. And I think you guys feel the same way. That's a good point. You know, uh, a souvenir. I never really thought that that's a great a great example. They were. It was a souvenir. You know, yours was audio recording. Mine was photos and stuff that would hang on my wall. You know, when I was living with my, fer- my parents, you know, every time I had some conscious shots, I, I, I would take two or three really good ones, low up to date by 10, frame them. At one point, all four of my walls had were, had probably 160 plus 8 by 10 frames all over my walls, you know? And and that was it. I, that was how, I, you know, I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? So I never thought of selling them. I probably gave away a bunch back then to friends who were with me at the concerts, but I I never sold them. I took 40 years to think, well, maybe, you know, Scott can help me do this. And he did. Scott was great. Scott made this thing. I took the pictures, but Scott was one that made this book look as good as it does. So, well, you know, it's another thing is, is like, you know, if you're 50 something, you would be in the back of Hit Parader or, or probably Circus more so, uh, maybe even 16 magazine, you know, if you were buying it for Kiss specifically, despite the Leif Garrett and Bay City Roller picks and all that stuff. But it's like you would be pen palling people or you'd write to like front row photos. Those guys have been around forever and you would get their little catalog in the mail of like photocopied pictures of Kiss or whatever band you were into. And maybe you ordered some and, you know, and you'd get them and and whatever. And they'd be, you know, pretty cool. But that really wasn't as prevalent as, you know, these days and stuff like that, you know. So it's like, you know, Steve, again, like, wasn't into this to make money or sell his photos or do this whole little side gig. It was just like, you know, he his his wall when I met him, his bedroom was literally covered with four walls of eight and a half by eleven, perfectly framed black, all black frames, like wallpaper. And I remember I walked into his room and was just like, Oh my God, like this is crazy. And then I walked onto the creatures of the night photos and uh some Van Halen shots, and I just was like, "Oh shit, man!" You know that we became friends like, just like that. So, hey, hey Scott, just a question for you: um, When you were assembling this this whole project, um, were you aware of how many, let's say, uh, uh, concerts he shot, and did you actually capture at least some of every show that you shot, or are there other shows? that maybe that you have still film on that you don't, that are not included in the book. Yeah, no, that's a fair question. Um, I think we said there was uh, 44 bands from 26 different shows officially. Um, There was uh, Judas Priest um, that all the shots were grainy. Uh, Steve, what was that? 82? One, the point of entry tour. Oh yeah, 81. There was, um, geez, uh, Rainbow Show from '81, Richard Black or Rainbow. We that, that that they just. I was still kind of honing in on my craft, so to speak. And um, so the first three or four shows, I I took pictures of like and that's two of them right there. They just they just kind of came out like crap, you know. They there was nothing to print there, we, and we didn't want to just put anything in there. We've actually, you know, we've had this conversation. The first time I shot Randy Rhodes with Ozzy '81, um, Scott and I went back and forth about whether we should put those in there or not because. There's some really good ones, and some are just kind of grainy and dark. Scott goes, no, you got to put them in there, man. There's people want to see those shots. So that's another example of, we, okay, we get it. And uh, and there's some good ones there, but there's some that were not as good as I wanted to be because of lighting or whatever. But we put them in there because of Randy Rose, you know? They got a lot of fans out there, you know? And another thing uh, to include it, you're not putting this out there as like, I'm a pro photographer and look at my great work. You're like, Hey, I'm a pro fan. Look what we captured here. And so the roads, the grainy roads ones was justified. Uh, tell us about some of these Randy Rhodes. It was, uh, there's a couple different shows he had. Ozzy. T- tell us about these. Uh, I think it was July 5th of 81. And Ozzy was playing on July 4th, the day before. We used to have these things called Day on the Greens where they played at Oakland Coliseum, big outdoor, where they had hard, bunch of other bands, like, yeah, like five or six bands, big event, right? They used to do those every summer. Well, Ozzy was, I think, opening up or playing second to um, on that show on July 4th. And I go, I I had no interest in going to that big show. But 
the following day, somehow we found out he was going to play down in Santa Cruz an hour and a half away in a small 3000 arena and Motorhead opening up. Okay. And this is when he only had the one album out. He only had Lizard of Oz album out. Right. So we drove down there with some older friends because we were, I was thinking I was still 16 and uh, got the camera in. We pushed our way to the front. And this is when Ozzy did not have a big stage production. It was bare bones. I mean, minimal lights, nothing on the stage, just amps. I mean, so I got a couple good shots from there and, and they're in the book. But five months later, when the Diary Man album came out, big tour, big production, big everything. He's playing the Cow Files December 30th. We go to that show, much better shots, more lighting. I had to rely on lighting, bigger everything. And there's some, there's some, if you're a Randy Rhodes fan, there's some, some great shots in there from that from that second show I saw. Now and, and that was it. Whereas after that, you know, hey, Steve, uh, tell the story that's in the book about what happened to your friend uh, the day Randy died in the plane accident and how that odd coincidence happened. Yeah, so my buddy Frank from high school. We we're at this point, um, I think we we're juniors in high school. Uh, I gave Frank um, so there's a picture of Randy Rhodes, which is my best shot, one of my best shots of him. That um, I gave Frank, maybe it was for his birthday. I gave him an eight by ten picture of Randy Rhodes of the, and it's in the book and uh, Frank put it in a frame he hung on his wall and when we went to school one day on at that morning he said man you're not going to believe it um, that, that picture of Rhodes fell this morning in the frame craft well later that same day is when we found out he died so it was a really weird spooky coincidence but I remember Frank telling us how somehow that picture on his wall fell to the ground, broke, shattered. And, you know, six hours later, seven hours later, we find out Randy Rhodes died that same day. Pretty crazy. And and that's what, you know, I really appreciated about the book. You know, it's like this, the photos are great and, you know, everything else there. But it's it's your stories that bring the concerts to life. And there's a lot of great ones. John and I both read the book cover to cover. Um, maybe a few uh, observations I had. I'm a big Black Sabbath Dio fan, and I see that uh, Ronnie was one that you followed many, many times, six or seven. You shot, you know, the Mob Rules tour and all the Dio shows. The one that I found the most impressive is, and I again, I have a bootleg cassette of that somewhere buried in my closet somewhere in a box, was when they play in the Antioch Barn. In uh, It was his first ever solo show. Talk about that night the venue size and how it was seeing Ronnie for the first time as a solo artist. Yeah. And I think we just, I think we just graduated high school, like a week before or two. Anyway, uh, me and my buddies, big Dio fans, we were big Sabbath fans with Dio. I remember being upset when he, when he was quitting, but then he started his new band and the Holy Dyer album just came out like the month before. And I remember hearing him on the radio saying how, yeah, we're playing. And Antioch, if you don't know the Bay Area, it's, it's, it's I hate to say, but it's kind of Hickville out in the middle of nowhere from, you know, you know, from in the, on the East Bay area. Um, and he's playing this place called the Concert Bar, which we have never heard of. Right. So we drive out to this freaking place and it's literally in the middle of nowhere. And it was a freaking bar. I mean, they were playing the bar and there's fucking there's hay and straw on the ground. <laughs> I mean, you're short of having animals in there. It was a bar. And I don't know how many people to hell. Maybe. I don't know, a couple thousand that was sold out. And he said that was his first show. That was going to be his debut show with the new band. And again, you know, bare bones, no big production. And at this point, but I'll tell you what, man, that freaking concert just, just knocked our socks off. It was just in your face. He played almost the whole album. Then of course played some Sabbath and, and rainbow stuff. And, uh, it, it just, I don't know how it ended up being there. And that was the first show, but, uh, apparently from what I understand, people have told me that no photos exist from that show, mm. except of course the ones that I have. That's amazing. So look it up if you go to you know on on YouTube or look it up. Apparently, there are no photos from that first show. It's too bad we didn't have a conversation with you guys about three weeks ago because we interviewed Wendy Dio uh, for some of the products that just came out. There was the Dreamers Never Die DVD re-release, and she was talking a lot about how. She had to go back into so many different places to find old memorabilia photos and footage. Wow. Hey, you may want to look her up and, and shoot her a line about that. She might want to add that into your, uh, you know, her collection. But Well, you know, we we actually tried to reach out to her, or at least I did, because 
you know, one thing about this book, I mean, Steve, we, we've talked about this many times. We're we're not getting rich off this book. I mean, it was like a fan thing. Steve was doing it because he had so many friends that were starting to get older and getting nostalgic and inquiring about stuff. So we sent him we 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 sent a book to Wolfgang Van Halen because we thought the pictures of Eddie were just mm-hmm. cool, and the fact that he passed away during the production of this book was kind of profound to us. And we thought that would be like a cool thing to do. Um, so we sent one down to you know. Eddie's old place at 5150 Studios and stuff. And like I said, we did reach out to Wendy just simply to say, we want you to have a copy of this book. We're not looking for an endorsement yeah. or anything like that. We just thought, you know, there's some really cool pictures of Ronnie. And to your point, I think there's six or seven shows or maybe six Dio shows in the Sabbath show. So if you're a Ronnie James Dio fan, man, this book is loaded with photos for you guys. Or for the parents. Yeah. And 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 uh, Steve, just talk about because you know it's obvious you 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 met Ronnie a few times. Um, what was your dialogue with him like? Was it a passing hello? I'm a fan. Thank you for everything. Or did you ever get into any conversations? Because people always say he remembered everybody by name, and if you came back to him another time, he he would say who you were. Yeah. Uh, well. Okay. Yes and no. So the very first time um, uh, my friends, I got to meet him was. The um, Last in Line album just came out. And this is 1984. This is when they still had record stores and they were still selling records. Okay. So he was going to do an autograph session, him and the band, a day after they, they had played the Bay Area. And we went to that show and and we thought, oh, God, we get a chance to meet this guy. And back then they would sign anything. He was signing Sabbath albums, Rainbow albums, anything. It wasn't just pertaining to the newest album, of course. right? And I had photos. I had photos from that concert barn show the year before. I brought those photos with me and he signed them. Well, as it turns out, that was my my birthday that day. And when they had it, they were sitting at a table and Ronnie was in the middle and you'd go to each guy and he'd sign whatever you want to sign. So I got to Ronnie. I was really nervous because he is one of my my favorites. I just happened to say, and he signed in the photos that I took from the concert farm. And I said, hey, Ronnie, I said, uh, you know, today today's actually my birthday. I go, is there any chance I can get a photo with you? And he just pops right up, says anything for a birthday. And he walked around the table. And back then, Nola was doing photos with these guys. No, I mean, I was probably the only guy there with the camera. Okay. And my buddy Dale, who was with me at almost most of these shows, he takes my camera. And I think we did the devil. I think we did the, you know, we both did the devil thing horns. Takes a picture of that. We think we're done. And he goes, no, one more. So we took another photo where we're kind of have our other. And then he went back and. And the other time, and that was just great. That was, that's at the very, I think it's at the very end of the book. It's a great shot of him and I and, and the date, of course. And the other time I met him was, uh, I think I only met him one other time years later at the NAMM show, which is that big music convention in Anaheim, like in the late 90s. And it was really quick. So, you know, how you doing, Ronnie? And that, you know, got another picture. And But, you know, the two times I met him, really sweet guy, really nice guy. And uh, it was great. It was, it was, it was I'm, I really want to be sure that I got into the book, for sure. And I... I have to throw in something that's kind of a funny little side note to these things. So, you know, back in the day, there was a magazine called Faces Rocks or Faces Rocks. It was like Circus Hit Parader. And you could send in your fan photos of you meeting a rock star. They might put it in the magazine. Well, I know this sounds, this is really just spur of the bone, but, but right there's a picture of me with Lita Ford from nice. 1984. And, uh, and so I go to the to the record store to see if my picture's in the magazine, and sure enough, it is. And I'm super stoked. And I look at the bottom of the page, and there's Steve's picture with Dio in it. And I thought, holy shit! Here's my you know one of my dearest friends in the same magazine. We didn't know he was sending it in, but we were in the same issue with our respected rock star photos. There, it's kind of cool. That's great. That's actually yeah. awesome. That's pretty rad. I was going to say, Scott. Be- um- uh, where were you through all of this? Were you part of uh, Steve's crew with, with Dale? Dale? Dale sounds like to me like he's the bouncer. He's the guy that the linebacker that you're getting up yeah. on shoulders. Were you yeah, around no, here through this all too? No, I mean, the truth is I'm uh, like two years younger than Steve. We lived in like towns next to each other on the peninsula in, San, in S- South City. He was in Millbrae. Um, and um, I had a friend who took guitar lessons 
and kind of knew a mutual friend of Steve. So one day, you know, he said, hey, I'm going to see my buddy Steve. He's a big Kiss fan. He's got these pictures all over his walls. You want to go with us? And I was like, sure. So uh, I forget what it was. We always say it was my mom maybe gave us a ride or something down to Steve's house. But um, that's how I befriended Steve. Then we just had a kind of like a, a, a fan geek thing with the Kiss photos and Motley and Van Halen. And Steve played guitar and I said he had a, a Les Paul that, you know, as a big Ace Freely fan, it was like, I, I don't think I've ever even seen a Les Paul in real life. And so, like, I was enamored with that. Steve was had an old Charvel striped Van Halen, uh, early model Charvel guitar. And, like, it just, I don't know, we just had a lot in common despite, you know, being different schools and a little bit different in age. But we stayed in touch the whole time. So um, I don't know if I was part of his crew, say, in high school, but after when I was in college and stuff like that and graduated, Steve and I would just hang out when we could, maybe go grab some food, go down to the record stores and that type of stuff. And uh, we both had little kind of mini trucks of swords back in the 80s. And we had, you know, we had things in common and we just kept in touch. Scott and I never went to any of these concerts together. We knew each other. He might have gone to some with his friends. I went with my friends, but we actually mm-hmm. never went to any of these concerts together. That's pretty yeah. awesome. What a coincidence. Yeah, we were friends. We always stay in touch, but we just never, we had just different friends and uh, we just didn't go together. Not for any particular reason. We just, we just didn't. I think you say, Steve, it was Kiss Revenge Show that we actually saw each other at the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah. In 92 or 93. Yeah, or Revenge yeah. was 92. Yeah, yeah, but like I said, we never, you know, drove in the same car or, or you know, that kind of thing. It was just like one day I saw him, I happened to see him after the end of the Revenge show and was like, hey, you know, kind of thing, small world. But yeah, I mean, we were at Creatures together. I think we seen Van Halen like with Sammy together, like, you know, at the same shows. Um, a lot of like probably like four or five of the shows that are in the book, we actually were at just, you know, just with our own little, our own buddies and stuff. Well, we're separated by 3,000 miles, but these same relationships have been going on 40 plus years. I got yeah. friends that, you know, I met in seventh grade. And part of the, the thesis behind this Metal Mayhem ROC is that it's the the campfire type bonding, the bonded by, uh, you know, the metal. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss uh, the early days of Van Halen and exactly what happened in Oakland in 1981. If you like what you're hearing here, join our community. Simply go to MetalMayhemROC.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter. We'll be right back. Metal Mayhem ROC. I'm Metalhead. Metal Mayhem ROC is the home for metal from the very beginnings. This is James DeVere from Hellstar. You're listening to Burnomatic. Dave Overkill from the Cleveland band Destructor. Hey, Dave, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's a long time headliner. Hey, this is Red Beach from Whitesnake. Hey, this is Vinny Apathy from Dio, Black Sabbath, and Last in Line. To music of today. Hi, this is Olaf Wickstun from Enforcer. Hi, this is Braun from Mastodon. You're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. With John the Vernomatic Burner. Plus, we talk with producers and authors to give you behind-the-scenes info. Hi, this is William Irwin, author of The Meaning of Metallica, Ride the Lyrics. Greg Renoff, the author of the book Van Halen Rising, and the uh, Ted Templeman book, A Platinum Producer's Life in Music. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. Giving you more to listen for. Join our community. And always remember to keep it heavy. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. One of the highlights of the book, my favorite band's Van Halen. When you talked about, and I showed Steve this before... I go back to 1981 and saw Van Halen on the Fair Warning. Thousands of shows, probably in my top five. But the show that you included in here was from the famous Oakland uh, Alameda show where they shot the three videos for So This Is Love, Hear About It Later, and Unchained. A couple questions. There's something happened at that show that you regret. Two, did you happen to see any of the... uh, cameras filming any of that no i'll tell you exactly what happened there, there were, they played three nights yep and i think i'm at the one uh they filmed by sack way in the back okay the next night i went they wore completely different clothes the first i saw them those were the clothes they were wearing so i think i was sitting way in the back okay um so i, I went two nights and uh a, a, a mutual friend of mine actually scored and this was a reserved seating show. Oakland, for some reason, usually had reserved seating, which I can never understand, but they did. This was reserved seating between seats on the floor, blah, blah, blah. And a mutual friend of mine uh, scored four second row center seats. Ooh. And the face value was 10 bucks. And he sold me his last 20 bucks, which I was happy to buy. 20 bucks for, I was right in the center. I was right in the aisleway. I, that little, that little catwalk thing they had in front of the stage, I was leaning on that on Michael's side. I was actually leaning on that for most of the show. Got my camera, and the problem was I splurged. I brought two rolls of film uh, that time, and uh, where I normally always brought one. Reserved seating, and there's security guys five feet away from me, six feet away that you know are in front of the stage, just kind of looking out the audience. So once I got to my seat and I see this, I think, shit, I can't take photos. I'm, 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 I'm too close. And what's the point? So I, I told myself, ah, you know what? Put the camera under your seat, you know, in your jacket and forget it. Well, my buddy who was with me was also a photographer. You know, after three or four or five songs, I see him taking photos. And he's just dodging, taking photos. I said, you know what? What, what I got to lose? So I get my camera out. And I'm trying to dodge the security. I'm taking photos. I get halfway through my role. I, I know I'm getting great shots. I'm 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 right there. I could tie their shoes if I want. And the lighting was great. <laughs> and I told myself, I said, you know what? Why don't you just stop? Even though you didn't finish the role, stop, roll it up, and pass it on to one of your friends. But I didn't. I got greedy. I kept taking shots because I knew I was getting great shots. And I got caught. And the script security guy gives me one of these. I went over, I rolled the film up. So I rolled up the film, gave him a roll of film with great shots, but I never saw, you know, of course, never saw. Go back to my seat, wait a few minutes, I pop the next roll of film in, I continue. I'm taking pictures, same thing. I get halfway through the roll, I said, Steve, 
You should just stop. Be happy what you got. Roll the film up. But Steve didn't listen. I kept taking uh, it. And I got caught again by the same guy. And now I'm pissed. I opened the camera. I just ripped the film out. I kind of threw it at his feet. I'm like, God damn, I can't believe I did it again twice. So I sat there. and was watching the show, enjoying the show. And, you know, I got past not getting photos. And uh, during, uh, in between the songs, you know, Dave Lee Ross, he's kind of rapping to the crowd. And Eddie, Eddie's probably a good 15, 20 feet from me because I was on Michael's side and Eddie's on his side. If, if any Van Halen fan knows, Eddie used to have like, you know, four or five guitar picks taped to his, his guitar. Well, he takes one off the office, he takes one off the guitar and he flings it to someone on his side of the uh, stage on, in the crowd. He looks my direction. I raise my hand up. He takes another pick and he flings this thing towards me. Now, this thing is curving through the crowd, you know, through the air like a boomerang. And I, I don't know how I did it, but I, I put my hand up and I caught this thing. I go, holy shit, I just caught a guitar pick ready, Van Halen. And it's in the book. There's a picture of you know me holding it like this, and it's in the book. Because I didn't get photos, so that I thought the least I could do is, is, is yeah. uh, put a picture of the actual guitar pick from that 1981 Fair Warning show. So, got a guitar pick, but I didn't get pictures. <laughs> well, you got the guitar pick for 81, but the 82 Diver Down shots are legendary. Ed with the the overalls and Dave Dave being Dave. Tell us about that show. Where was it? And any fun stories with that one? So that was about a year, about a, a little more than a year, year and a half later. This is Diver Down Tour. Again, they're playing two, I think two nights at the Cow Palace, which is in San Francisco. General admission, no reserve seating. I thought, you know what? Since I didn't get pictures last time, I decided to bring two rolls of film again. And I was with two or three friends and, uh, we're in line and we're getting ready to get patted down. I got my camera all in its place. I always had a roll of film in the camera itself. And the second roll of film I gave to my buddy Al and he put it in his shoe. That was my backup, right? So we get up and we're getting patted down and I get caught. The security guard feels the camera in my jacket. He goes, what, what is that? You know, what do you, what do you got in your jacket? And I'm, I start pulling it out. Well, everyone in the back, you know, in line wants to see what I'm trying to sneak into the show. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I'm holding up the line. I pull out the camera and the guy goes, no cameras allowed. You got to bring that back to your car. Well, I don't know how I thought this, but I just said I was lying. I said, I don't have a car. I got dropped off. I go, why don't you just take my film? And he said, you don't have a car? I said, no, I got dropped off. I had one roll of film because that's the only roll of film. You got to go, yeah, just take the film. So the guy that he took the film, he took the brand new roll of film that was in the camera, let me bring my camera in thinking I didn't have any more film. Well, get in the show, you get down the floor, my buddy pulls the film out of his shoe. I put it in, I had one roll of 36 frames and probably got probably the best, probably some of the best photos I ever got. And just because I decided to bring two rolls of film that one night and, you know, and, and that's what we got, you know? Hey, Steve, I, you know, I think one of the, on Van Halen, one of the fascinating parts included in the book is, Towards the end, when you kind of summarize like your run-ins and face-to-faces with a lot of these guys, and there's a whole page dedicated to one particular day with a lot of the members of Van Halen. Talk a little bit about that whole experience. Well, um, yeah, the first time, I think, again, the 1982 show, same way, I went both nights. And in, and whenever I went to a show um, that, that played two nights, whether it was Van Halen, ACDC, I would take pictures one night and then the next night I just wouldn't take pictures. Well, we, you, you, my friends and I had a thing where after these concerts, we would follow the limousines when they left the cow house. We meet, you know, we go back to the hotel, we meet, meet them at the hotel. Well, in this particular case, since they were already there two nights, we found out, we found out from someone that, oh, they're staying at this particular hotel and they're there. We met them the night before. So what we did on the second night of the show, my friends and I went, um, to the hotel before the show, before sound check, and we get to this hotel and we knew they were there. There's a limousine in front. It's say it's probably five o'clock. And here comes David Lee Roth coming out with two security guards, got the sunglasses on, he's wearing this Chinese camo, and we all fucked our stand. He's coming up. We're standing by the limousine. My buddy was gonna take a, you know, I had the camera, and within ten feet, one of his big security guards goes, No, no cameras, no photos, you know. So put the camera down and swear to God, I couldn't believe what I was going to see next. Right before Gabe gets into the limousine, 
he goes into this playful wrestling mode with one of my friends. I'm not lying. They're doing all these hands, you know, arms are shaking, and he, they they got they didn't fall on the ground, but they were like they were like pretend wrestling. Fucking crazy day. Wow. He gets he gets in the limousine. He takes off. We hop in our car. We're following him down the freeway, and there's a picture in the book where I'm in one car side by side with Dave Limo, and Dave had his window down, and I got a picture of him you know, give me the thumbs up and sunglasses on, on his way to the Galp House, on his way to the show. And then after the concert, we went back to the hotel and now we know they're there and we saw Alex Van Halen there and I think we saw, did we see, oh, we, I think we saw Eddie, I can't remember, but, um, so there was, we had some good run-ins on that particular tour. There was a, there was a funny part you mentioned as well on uh, one of the shows where David Lee Roth, whether it was a canned speech or not, a bra was thrown up on stage and he made a comment about that. But then it also reminded me of a story that uh, you mentioned about something that happened at a Motley Crue show with a real set of women's oh, yeah. body parts. So talk a little bit about those things. Well, OK, for the Van Halen one, I don't think this was canned at all. Um this was the same show. This was a show I think I wasn't taking photos at. Someone threw a, um, a bra up on stage. Some girl threw a bra up on stage. And again, in between songs, Dave kind of rapped into the crowd. <laughs> I can remember like it was yesterday. And and Dave goes, hey, Ed. Hey, hey Ed, is that is that your bra on the stager? Because it's too big to be Valerie's. <laughs> I don't know. And, you just go, and the whole crowd goes, oh, no. And it was funny, but, you know. I don't think that was staged. And then the, the Molly Crew, I think you're referring to. This is when Molly Crew was opening for Kiss. Is this, is this the one you referred to, Walt? The um, the 83 tour, probably? Yeah. 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 So what happened was, um, you know, this was Kiss doing the, the Creatures of the Night tour. Molly Crew, brand new band, who I really wasn't that familiar with, to tell you the truth, at the time. And this is Easter Sunday, 1983. <laughs> and me and my, my, my high school buddies, we're going to go to the show. Well, we had a classmate. Um, her name's Nadine. And she knew we were going to go to the show. And she was a fan of Motley Crue. So she asked me, hey, Steve, can I, can I catch a ride with you guys? I like Motley Crue. I, I know you guys probably want to see Kiss. I go, yeah, no problem. And we'd never been to a concert with her before, but I was okay. So we go to the concert. And I had this, um, I used to take this art class. I'm not an artist at all, but Scott's a great artist. I did this watercolor thing, really cheesy, of the Creatures of the Night tour. I'm sorry, the Creatures of the Night album cover. And we go behind the building. They're playing the San Francisco Civic, which is kind of downtown San Francisco. And we go behind. It's before the show. Um, me and my friends, we go in 18. We go behind the, the building. And there was a door open. And we could see Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, no makeup, just kind of standing there just talking to people. We go, holy shit. And we got Gene's attention. He came over and signed. You know, he kind of signed my, 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 my painting. And then behind us was a tour bus. So we go to walk to this tour bus, and it's a Motley Crew on it. We go around; it's parked on the on the side of the street. There's Nikki Six just kind of kicking back, sitting in the driver's seat. He's just sitting in the driver's seat, and he was talking to some people. He had the window down. So me and my friend and Nadine, we go around, and we're talking to him. So we had to look up at him. We're talking to him, and um, really nice guy. This is before the show, and our friend Nadine, who was who was a fan of theirs, said. Uh, <laughs> you say, she, she says to Nikki, hey, Nikki, can I get your autograph? And he says, sure. How about I sign your tits? Don't be shy. I'm not. <laughs> so she, we, my friend Dale and I, we literally had to hoist her up to get to Nikki because he's, you know, he's in the bus, he's in the driver's seat. And we, so she calls her to town and we hoisted up as far as we could. And he kind of, you know, had a, someone had a Sharpie and he, Signed her tits. Got there. We go. Nadine got her tits signed, and that was. Uh, Did you turn the camera and take a photo to get to her so she had proof it actually happened? <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. But yeah, I say in the book that um, I described that story. I think I said in the book about you went to go to school the next day because you know this was a Sunday night. Again, it was Easter Sunday. God, seeing Kiss and Motley Crue. We go to school the next day. We were seniors in high school, and Dale and I were pretty cool. About, about not telling everybody that Nadine got her tits signed, but I'm pretty sure we told a few people. That's like right out of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It really, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I said to Steve, I said that's one of my favorites because at that show, um, before that happened, believe it or not, I 
I was walking up to the front of the auditorium and the crew drove their bus right smack in front and stopped. And I, we just happened to, I was there with like three of my friends and I just happened to jump on the front of the tour bus and I grabbed onto the windshield wipers. And it, I mean, it was, it was at a stop, but to Steve's point, I remember seeing like the crew or motley crew at the little sign at the top of the bus. And here I am holding on to the windshield wipers, big eyed. And there's my, it was Tommy, Nikki and um, Vince just totally like posing and like, you know, they were in their street clothes, but they were totally just like all this stuff. And I was like, you know, like, like Steve said, he wasn't into them as much as like, I think me and my friends were, um, because we were in, we kind of liked the glammy side of thing. You know, Kiss was trying to make a comeback of sorts, getting heavier again. But I mean, that so like that was kind of a funny thing. And uh, I, you know, I know firsthand like what that bus was like. And uh, I never met Nadine, but uh, it's a good story. When you saw the crew on Theater of Pain, what was it like? You have some great pictures in there when Nikki's or Tommy's drum set went 90 degrees. You were pretty close for those. Yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. Because I remember back then, we didn't know any of this stuff was going to happen. That was a, that was kind of the beauty of going to concerts back then. There was no internet. There was no, you didn't know the set list. You didn't know what the stages all look like for the most part, right? So to see this thing was incredible, man. And uh, yeah, we always got within about 15 feet of the stage because, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to get caught by the security. But when that thing went up, man, I tried to get some good shots. Of it. I got a few. And uh, that was crazy. He was drinking. He's been drinking a beer at one point, I think, you know, and that was a great show. That's yeah. When you're in uh, the Bay Area, did you ever go to any of the uh, clubs like Ruthie's Inn or the Waldorf or any of that and shoot? So, uh, yeah, the old Waldorf, there's pictures of Y&T and, and Gamma in there. Um, that was that was yeah, downtown. But most of these shows are Cal Pals or Oakland arenas. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 big arena shows. But yeah, I did. Yeah, I used to go to some of those shows and see some of these bands. Whether I took pictures or not, it depends. But um, but yeah, those that was, there was a couple that were in there for sure. I was surprised no Metallica in this book. That's funny you mentioned that because Scott and I talked about this before the show, right? Metallica, I was kind of done taking photos by the time they were really moving up the ladder. You know what I mean? And again, I didn't get into them again until later on. And and these are the ones I took. I took. I didn't go to every show. I went to the ones that were my favorites. You know what I mean? So I I missed Metallica. I blew it. Like I know they and they did play some clubs back then. I mean that I could have got you know right there in front. But but you're right because you finished in '86 and the Metallica's timeline. You know '83 they're doing Kill 'Em All and then they spent all that time in Europe. They opened for Ozzy on his Ultimate Sin tour, which I think was '86. But again. You know what I mean? I didn't take pictures. I, I, I got plenty of photos of Ozzy, and that's too bad because that would have been a great opportunity because Cliff yeah. was still alive then. Okay, this was a, Cliff was still alive, and I could have got great shots, but I, I missed that one. That was one I missed. Why no Rush? Weren't you a Rush fan? Didn't they play out there? Not that much. They did, and um, they were kind of sporadic, too. I think I remember they didn't come on the um, Moving Pictures tour. They didn't come. Okay, for somebody they didn't tour, and I was, you know, that's when I was got into them, and I, I, yeah, I think I missed. The, I, I saw them in nineteen. Okay, I saw them in nineteen eighty on uh, Permanent Waves, but guess what? I didn't have a camera yet. Before I started taking pictures, that would have been the one to take. So I missed that one too. I missed some. I'll admit, <laughs> I missed some shows. Hey, uh, Steve, there was a a, a good story. Speaking of uh, back to the Van Halen connection, my first ever. Well, I shouldn't say my first ever rock show. My first ever rock show in a proper way alone with my friends. I was 16 years old. It was October 10, 1986, David Lee Roth's birthday at the Meadowlands Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Cinderella opened. I still have the T-shirt. I still fit in the T-shirt, which is kind of odd, too. Yeah. But the point of it is I love your story. Not, of course, looking at the photos of the Enum and Smile Tour, but it's what happens in down at the Fisherman's Wharf when you're parking cars for a, a living. Talk about that story. So the, I think the photos I have, I mean, you know, that was, I wanted to make sure I got pictures of that Eden and Smile tour because I was a big Steve Vai at the time, fan, big Steve Vai fan. 
you know, here's Dave trying to make his point and everything. And he played, I think, I think he played two nights. He did. He played two nights, I think in December 86 at the Cow Plaza. I got some great show, great shots of that show. And after that, I thought I was done. You know, I was done for about 10 years. Well, after that show, maybe four or five months later, I was, I, I, I'm out of high school. I was, I was a valet parker at Fishman's Wharf in San Francisco. And this is in 87, let's say it was probably April, May. So I'm probably, I'm sure the tour was probably done. Well, I had to work weekends because that's when it was a busy time and everything. And it was probably like seven, eight o'clock at night. It's dark. A lot of cars are leaving. And this is a big parking lot. It's probably a hundred yards long. I'm down at the far end and I see this car pulling out of a parking spot, which means they're probably going to leave. But come, the car comes up to me. I could see him, he had the ticket and he thought he was going to pay me. When he pulled up to me, he stopped and it's fucking Steve Vai and his probably wife. And then there was old people in the back. It had to be either her parents or his parents. Okay. And I just started talking like a regular guy. Like I knew who he was. I didn't get all geeky and stuff. I was in a band. We just, you know, I was getting some advice from him and stuff. Well, we ended up talking for like 20 minutes, maybe the whole time he's in park, the car's running, it's dark out. And I gave him, I had a demo tape of my band I wanted to give him. I said, I'll tell you what, Steve. I said, um, you take my tape, you listen to it. Uh, you take my tape, I'll take care of your parking. He said, okay, no problem. I said, but I got to go with you to the, you know, to the, to the top of the lot where you check out. He goes, okay, he goes, hop on. I said, what? He goes, hop on the hood. I go, okay. So I hop on the hood of this car and I'm holding yeah. on to the antenna. Now, but I'm blocking his view. So he's got his head out the window and he's driving down the parking and he's not going really slow. He's creaking. You, know, you can just see this guy, his hair's flowing and I'm holding on. I go, fuck, man, you know, if I fall off, I'm going to get hurt. And he, he drives up, like I said, about 100 yards. We get to the very top. I give him my cassette. I take his ticket. It's a great talking to you, Steve. And he takes off. That was a huge highlight for me. That was great. That was a huge time. And they're running there like that. Oh, yeah. Of all places, you know, totally cool, totally cool guy. And uh, yeah. and that's that story's in the book, too. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the English bands. Judas Priest, you and your buddies chasing them down. Iron Maiden, you're getting in yeah. trouble with the the security guys. What, what happened at those shows? So um, the Judas Priest, um, 1982, Screaming for Vengeance tour again at the Cow Palace. And um, great show. I got some pictures of that. And after the show, again, I, 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 I did this kind of cheesy watercolor painting of Glenn Tipton. And there was, you know, maybe two by three. And uh, after the concert, we were, we were waiting in the, in the, the high, we were waiting back by the uh, back entrance of the Cow Palace. And it's like one in the morning. It was really late. It was, we were like way an hour or two after the concert. And the whole parking lot's empty. Well, I had this painting with me. And we could see there was limousines like 50 yards away. Well, all of a sudden, one comes our way. And we're like the only ones there, me and my two, two or three friends. And I hold up this, this painting. And the limousine passes us. And then it stops. And we go, holy shit. And the window rolls down. We go running up to it. And there's Glenn Tipton. On one side, sitting down, and it's sitting across from his is Rob Hopper, and each of them had a girl sitting on either side of them. There was four girls in there, two French guys, and I remember Rob Hopper had his hand, each of his hands, on the knees of these girls, right? And then I don't remember if we knew he was gay at the time, not that we cared, but they were really trying to cover it up, I guess, right? So Glenn, uh, Glenn signed my painting. We said thanks, great. They, they take off, and then here comes the next limousine. And that's got to be KK Downey. And sure as shit it was. So we, and they didn't stop because we didn't have anything on the side. They didn't stop. So my buddy and I would get my buddy Al's truck and we're following this limousine all through San Francisco. This guy, this limousine driver was trying to, to, to lose us. I felt like we were in a chase scene in a movie, you know, going through San Francisco. And finally, this guy gets off the freeway. He's in a residential area and he drives into a dead end, like a court. And we're right behind. Him. He has nowhere to go. And he starts to back up and backs right into my friend's truck. And bam, just like that. We go, holy shit, he just back into your truck. <laughs> now everything stops. Everything just freaking stops. We get out of the truck. You know, we go, hey, we just want some water. I'm not, you know, and the window rolls down and it's KK down. And he, and he kind of looks out and he goes, in this, you know, classic British accent, he goes, did we do any damage to your vehicle? You know, and it's, 
which is, you know, it wasn't anything bad. We got our liquor, we got our order. And again, there was girls and there was, it was, uh, KK down in, in, in Hill and the girls again in the limousines and, you know, talk about taking care of the rock stars, right? Nice guys. Couldn't be nicer. Sign whatever we had at the time. They take off. And, uh, that was Judas Priest. And I think the other one you're talking about was Iron Maiden. Scott loves that, the telescope one. Yeah. Scott loves his story. So yep. it, this was 85, the Power Slate tour. And uh, I got my camera past security, you know, past the path down. I get into the concert. And usually what I would do is I would wait till I get down on the floor where I surrounded my people before I took the camera and the lens out. Well, I didn't do that this time. This time I was kind of standing off to the side. I start, and, and, and I think Twisted Sister was the only man. So Twisted Sister is playing. They're the first band playing. And I start to pull the camera out of my jacket. I really wasn't paying attention. All of a sudden, a, a light flashes right in my face, a flashlight. I go, oh, no. And it's like, he sees me pulling out. I took the lens out first. It's a, it was a telephoto lens. And <laughs> I couldn't hear what he was saying because it was so loud, right? But he, he's shining this light on me. And again, I don't know how I thought of this, but I took the lens and I put it up to my eye like it's a telescope. Like I'm, I need to the concert i'm doing the and i go and the, and, the, and the guy bought it he fucking bought it and he, before i know that the light stops is off me and he walks away guys what about some of the kiss experiences uh steve i thought there was again one particular photo i picked up on um it was uh page 296 if we have to be very factual and it was uh one of the shows in 2000 but it was a funny shot where Gene is leaning in and he looks like he's licking Ace's neck. It was just kind of funny because you see this disturbing look on Ace's face like, oh, God, no, I hate this guy to begin with. He's just paying the bills, paying my salary. And I really don't want this big, sweaty freaking tongue on my neck right now. Yeah. You know, Kiss, um, you know, that was kind of like a stage move that they've been doing for some time. You know, like Gene and Ace would kind of face each other. Then Paul would kind of come in on the right and. I, you know, it seemed like they changed it up. What song it was? I don't know if it was during Strutter or something like that. But it would kind of go into that pose, and then Gene would, yeah, occasionally try to do it. He, he, I had some pictures with Vinnie Vincent where he lick, tried to lick Vinnie's face, kind of thing. It was just one of those things. And I think Ace would just kind of laugh it off and lean back out of the way. But yeah, there's pictures of that quite quite a bit through the years. Guys, listen. The one thing that I loved about this book, and anyone that has seen these tours the it's a nice walk down uh, heavy metal memory lane to see the clothes again and to see the props from the shows and what the one show one picture i want to bring out is the deaf leopard blackfoot pictures because i saw that that tour and i remember i was a big deaf leopard fan at the time like when they were really young and the one thing i took away from that show back in 40 years ago was you know this was pre-union jack gear but like the clothes they used to wear so that's one of the aspects of this book that i took out was rekindling my fondness for the stage gear and because that's just as important as the imagery of the amps or any of that other stuff comment on any of that well again yeah we saw it was uh it was a kind of i guess you call it a co-headlining show um Def Leppard played first, and, and it was Black, and they, and they both played about the same amount of time. And we were there, of course, Black, uh, Def Leppard. Um, you know, this is when Rick Allen had two arms. Sorry, that's a joke. I mean, but he did. You know, he had two. Um, and this was off the High and Dry <laughs> album. And uh, you, the thing that sticks out the most in that show was Pete Willis was in the band, too. This was when Pete Willis was still the band. There. And... Uh, this was the, called this the Oakland Arena, Oakland Auditorium. It was probably yep. five or six thousand seater, so it wasn't a big arena, but it was a, a, a medium size. And the stage was a low stage. There It was always hard to get photos of that place, but a lower stage than normal. During one of the songs, I don't remember which song it was, but during one of the songs, Pete Willis got he got right to the front of the stage, he got right to the right stage, and he had that black uh, hammer guitar, and. Someone literally just pulled someone in the crowd. They were so close. To, there was no, there was no barricade. It was just right up against the stage. Someone in the crowd literally just reached over his back and pulled the guitar off his back. And he's lucky he didn't go flying in the crowd with the guitar. He literally 
duck down and let the guitar go. Okay. He, within seconds, he ran to the side of the stage, got another guitar on and kept going. Well, then their biggest roadie literally dives in the crowd. He's going after the guitar because whoever grabbed the guitar is trying to get out of it. Right. I'm sitting in the back of this spot going, oh my God, I can see what's going on. And this guy, this guy, he made his way and he got that guitar back and he got it back. It was kind of holding, it was like, like we say in the book, it looked like a shark fin, you know, going through the waters, you know what I mean? And uh, the guy got the guitar back and got back on stage and all all said and done, like within two minutes. It was crazy. That was that was something else to see. See, a guitar pulled off his back. He's a little guy, Pete Willis. He's a small guy, right? And he could he could have easily got pulled in, you know, to the crowd when that guy grabbed his guitar. He was smart just to kind of let it go, you know. You know, you know, John, you said something right before this story, and um, and uh, well, you said this kind of earlier as well. You know, the thing that's cool about this book, and I'm not trying to sell it, but it's what we've heard from a lot of people is with the set list, the ticket stub, the ads, the story. And the photos, the combination of all those things really paints that picture or really kind of heightens your senses to kind of remember what that show was like, especially if you went to it. It might remind you of something you might have completely forgot about. Or like you said, the clothes might say, oh, shit, I remember Dave wearing the old uh, denim jacket with all the beads and all the bracelets or Eddie's jump uh, overalls. You know, those are so synonymous with him. Um, I used to love yeah. Michael Anthony's white explore bass with the blood splattered all over it, but he only played it for a couple of tours. And then it's, I mean, I think he still has it actually, but you know, that was one of those things. And so people have said to us, like, yeah. you know, not only is the book, you know, it, I mean, we've had it, we had it professionally printed. It's not some, you know, Walmart print job or something like that. It, yeah. It's got a nice cover. It's have got it a three pound book, full color, the whole bit, but it's all these little, little, um, kind of instances that kind of paints this nice photo that we call it our time machine. It takes you back to 1984 and it's like, my God, we were all thin. Then we all had, we all had hair or bigger hair. And it's like, that's the cool thing about this. I think that's what most people get off on is, (laughs) is that, you know, it's not just a book about ACDC or it's, it's a book about your youth. You know, if you were, you know, around in that time. So where can people find this? Where where can they find the book? We have a website uh, that's picturesalive.net. You can find all of the information there. The book is 29.95. Uh shipping in the in the states is only 6 bucks. Um you know, we'll we'll ship it overseas. It takes a little bit more time obviously and stuff like that. We had an order the other day from the, what was this this is Slovakia. Slovakia, yeah. Um, which was really cool because this nice guy, um, uh, Radaman was his name. He said, you know, he didn't obviously get shows like that when he was a kid, but he'd live vicariously through Circus Magazine and all that stuff. So this book, man, was almost like the greatest thing he ever received. That was kind of cool. But picturesalive.net is where you can get the book. It's available on Amazon if you want to order it that route. And we even have some copies on eBay too, you know, if you want to order it that way but that's where you can find all the info guys uh steve uh, congratulations this is a great testament to your, your youth both of your youths and uh i really enjoyed the book thank you and we'll do everything here to, to, to push it listeners you know the holidays are right around the corner get these for all your metalhead friends it's a it's a good read it's a good quick read and it's something that you could pick it up at any point in time grab a chapter you know, while you're having your coffee real quick in the morning and read <laughs> 10 pages in five minutes and you, you know, it does. It reads real smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie Trunk said it was one of his kind of favorite type of books. Lots of pictures, not a lot of words. So it's like, you know, uh, you're going to get a nice little nugget. Uh, like you said, the Motley Crue thing was a good one. Um, you know, I we had a blast just kind of reliving some of these stories. And because a lot of them, I'd never really heard the details behind these photos. So it was cool for me just to know the background. And uh, yeah, just a good time. Guys, it's been a pleasure. And uh, this has been awesome. I'm sure we could sit here and talk for another five hours. Maybe we'll do it again. Not to promote something. We'll just talk metal. Heck yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. 
All right. Well, everyone, uh, thank you for listening and watching the Metal Mayhem ROC YouTube channel. And we'll be back real soon with another exciting episode. Thank you. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.